You're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Estate planning often feels like a necessary evil. Today, we will take the evil part down a notch by highlighting major estate planning mistakes and how to avoid them. Welcome to the Art of Investing. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Please join me today in welcoming Peter Maris, a certified financial planner and retirement planning specialist in Chicago. Peter is president of the Resource Financial Group, a firm specializing in comprehensive financial planning. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you, Larry. The house always wins. Nobody gets out alive. Everybody dies. Those are the rules. What do we need to do to basically protect our loved ones? That's really what it comes down to, Larry, because when you have money, when you have an estate, you also have a responsibility to make sure that your estate is taken care of in the event that you pass away or you become disabled. And having a current, correct, comprehensive estate plan in place will help you do that. Right, so everyone should have one. Everyone. At least every physician. Every physician should definitely have one. And do physicians need a different type of estate than other people, or doesn't really matter? Well, if a physician works for a hospital or have their individual practice, if they're an individual business owner, they have some special partnerships that they may have purchased many years ago, like a lot of physicians have, then they need some special adjustments to their estate plan. But basically, like any estate plan, Larry, it's based on an individual's individual personal situation. How often do I need to update these documents? If your situation hasn't changed, in other words, you haven't changed your mind on who's going to get what after you pass away, or you haven't changed your mind on who's going to be the trustee or the executive of your trust, probably every five years. You know, things change enough every five years to warrant a review of your estate plan. Peter, what exactly is a trust? What is this magical thing that keeps the government away from your money? Well, that's actually a misconception, Larry. What a living trust does for you, it does two things that a will can't. Wills and trusts can do the exact same thing with the exception of these two items. Number one, a living trust keeps your situation personal. In other words, the day after you pass away, you somebody files your will, and your estate, for all practical purposes, becomes public. In other words, your nosy neighbor could get in her car, go down to the courthouse, and see exactly who's getting what of your estate. So the number one item that a estate plan does, excuse me, a living trust, is it keeps your situation private. And secondly, and probably more importantly, a living trust keeps your estate out of probate, if funded correctly and prepared correctly. Probate is a process anywhere from two to six months that basically ties up your assets for a while and doesn't go directly to your heirs. If I did not have a trust or any sort of planning and I died tomorrow, would my money all go to the state? It doesn't go to the state, Larry, but the state will make the decision on who gets your money. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd much rather have some input on how my money is distributed to my heirs after I pass away, as opposed to living up to the, the state of Illinois. How do you pick a trustee, and is a trustee the same thing as an executor or a guardian? Are they all the same? Well, an executor and a trustee is similar. Executor for your will and a trustee for your trust. You should pick somebody who has good judgment. Some folks say you should have an executor who understands money and who's a super whiz at the law and investing, but you don't need that. You need somebody with good judgment who's going to take your wishes and fulfill them and do exactly what your trust says. They can find an investment advisor. They can find a tax specialist. So I think the number one trait to a good executor is somebody with good judgment. What if that person dies before you? Pick five for your, your will just in case they all drop dead? Pick three, pick five. We do three of them as a minimum, and the fourth or the last one will be bank trust department. For example, a big bank that perhaps you're comfortable with. So in the event that the other trustees, they don't want to act or they predecease you, at least it doesn't get to the state of Illinois in terms of who's going to divvy up your money. What happens when I want my brother and my wife wants her brother? 
And all we do is fight about that, and we never get anything done. Well, there's going to be some issues when you put your estate plan together that you're not 100% confident about, but it's better to have an estate plan in place that's 80% thorough, 80% correct, than one that's not in place at all. You can decide on the trustees later and make an amendment to your plan, but again, compromise on something like that. Worst case scenario, you can make them co-trustees and have them watch each other while you put your estate plan in place. Let them fight about it after I'm dead. I don't really care. The dead don't care. Peter, while I'm alive, how do I go about funding the trust appropriately? Well, once you create a, a trust, then you go through a process, which basically is a paperwork process, Larry. You change the title of your assets from, let's say, joint tenancy with you and your wife to one of your trusts. So instead of saying John and Mary Smith joint tenants, you would say John and Mary Smith trustees of the John Smith Living Trust. So it's simply a matter of changing title to your assets. That doesn't sound very complicated. It doesn't sound complicated, but let's say you have four bank accounts, a couple of retirement accounts, 401k plans, some insurance policies, a home, a summer home, home equity line of credit. You have to contact each institution and make a change. So simply 10 pieces of paper flying around, 10 applications can make life complicated for you. If you've just joined us, you are listening to The Art of Investing on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. And I'm talking today with Peter Maris, a certified financial planner in the Chicagoland area, and we're talking about estate planning. Peter, let's say that I'm on my third wife, and I want to get my money to my children. I want to get it into their hands after I die. And I'm under the understanding that usually when a guy dies, all his money goes to the wife first, and then the wife has to die, and then it gets to the kids. Is there a way to circumvent that? Larry, it's absolutely possible. Not to overcomplicate things, but a living trust is simply an agreement. It's a contract between you and the world on how your money is going to be handled after you pass away. Uh, There's something called the Qualified Terminal Interest Property Trust, which will allow you to, for example, give your third wife a monthly stipend from your assets for her lifetime. And let's say after she passes away, then the lump sum would go to your children. So you can do pretty much anything within reason with your money through a living trust to make sure things are handled the way you'd like them to be. Peter, I want to avoid fighting after I'm dead amongst my children. How much should I share with them? How much should they know? There's a lot of people out there, I imagine, that are very tight-lipped when it comes to sharing this stuff with their kids because probably they think they're never going to die and it's just an uncomfortable topic to discuss. So what do you recommend? Well, I think that question goes to the the type of relationship, Larry, that you have with your children. Some families talk openly about money and some simply don't. I've had family meetings with my clients and their children to fully explain the process that we put together for them, the living trusts, the overall estate plan, so the children understand what's in place. And when the time comes, they'll simply come into my office and we'll talk. The family should be aware that you've done something and the individuals who are responsible for this. So worst case scenario, give the kids a name and a phone number and say if something happens to us, call this person. What should a listener out there do if they really have nothing in place yet? All they have is a, is a giant mess of financial records sitting on their desk at home. How do they get organized? Well, the best thing to do is to establish a relationship with a comprehensive financial planning firm. They're going to help you go through the entire financial planning process from the money you have in the bank all the way to estate planning. And once you go through that process, they can help you to determine what type of estate plan would be most appropriate. So they'll educate you, they'll advise you, and then finally you can implement a plan. 
Peter, I, I had some life insurance policies before I got married, and I have no clue who the beneficiary is. It might be my brother. It might be a cousin. And uh, if I don't change that, do those still go to those people? I mean, should I be revisiting that? It's one of the biggest mistakes, Larry, that people make is not addressing the beneficiary designations. So they'll establish a living trust. But we talked about that paperwork earlier. They won't complete the paperwork. So if you bought an insurance policy 20 years ago and your brother as a beneficiary, but now you're married with family, children, and you don't go back and change that beneficiary. If something happens to you, that beneficiary supersedes the living trust, and that money is going to your brother instead of your children. As a result, changing the beneficiary designations, that paperwork we talked about, though tedious, is very important. Peter, I got another trust question, which I don't understand. Can you define for me what a irrevocable life insurance trust is? Irrevocable life insurance trust. We refer to those as ILITs, I-L-I-T, and that's simply, it's an advanced estate planning technique that allows you to take the value of your life insurance out of your estate. So right now, as an example, Larry, each individual could pass $2 million down to their heirs, $2 million. But if your life insurance is, let's say, a $1 million, that gets added on top of your estate. It can actually make that life insurance taxable. So people say, well, life insurance is not taxable. It's not income taxable. You don't pay income tax on it, but you can pay up to 47% in estate tax on your life insurance. So an islet is used to remove that life insurance from your taxable estate so it goes on to your wife or your children or your grandchildren or the next generation without any income tax and no estate tax. Hmm. Didn't know that. Peter, people love their pets, and some people, all they have is their pets. So do you have to put pets in your will? Well, I mention that to my clients, and often I get a, a laugh. But anybody who's had a dog, a cat, they're a bird or fish that they're close to, something has to happen with the pets after you pass away. And we talked about taking some money, putting it off the side, and perhaps donating it to one of the shelters, and then they could watch your pet for the rest of their lives. Or maybe make an agreement with somebody who'll take your pet, and then you'll provide for the, the expense of the veterinarian and the food for the life of the pet. So if you do do a comprehensive estate plan, and pets are a part of our life, I think that area of the plan should be addressed as well. Peter, what are kind of common mistakes do you see people making all the time that our listeners could potentially avoid by listening to you? Well, what I see often is that people have decided who gets their, their assets, usually the children or the other family members. But I always counsel them to think twice about letting the children get all their money as a lump sum, all the money at once. For the good or the bad, we tell people to have to protect their kids against creditors and predators to discuss a distribution schedule for their money. So as an example, they'll get half of the money when the parents pass away, and then perhaps they get some income for the next five years, and then they have a right to the other half five years later. I think that protects them from themselves. They go to make a bad business decision. protects them from spouses that may divorce them early on. It protects them from predators like friends who will borrow money. It gives them time to think about the next distribution in the case they make a bad decision with the first lump sum. So I think making sure that even though your children may be responsible physically and have a great marriage and the rest, you need to think about having a distribution schedule for the assets. So are these people kind of like lottery winners where you see a lot of kids that in- inherit an enormous chunk of money and they just blow through it and are bankrupt and just waiting for that next lump sum payment to come? Absolutely, Larry. And it could be with the best of intentions. I had a client who inherited a great deal of money from his father and then all of a sudden thought he was a restaurateur and three years later, a lot of debt and a lot of heartache came to this gentleman. And it wasn't because he was spending the money on, uh, on sin. 
It was simply made some bad decisions in business where if he had had half the money come up front and half five years later, he would have time to think about his bad decisions and then had another chance to start over five years later. So as a parent, if you know your children and know that they are making bad decisions while you're alive, it would make sense to kind of still control the purse strings after you die. Sure. Call it controlling the money from the grave. It is never a bad idea to lessen the amount of dollars they get up front and stretch it out over time. Another major common mistake is an IRA. IRA trusts are becoming more and more common. This is a special type of trust that is simply for IRA assets, 401k assets, SCP assets, all the money that's never been taxed before because of that. It's never been taxed before. As a result, special tax rules apply to retirement assets. And that's a big mistake that people make is treating their IRA assets the same way they treat their home or their bank account. On that note, I'd like to thank our guest, Peter Maris, president of Resource Financial Group. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to The Art of Investing on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.